Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Welcome to Freedom of Species, we're a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. This is our first show back after our summer break, so I hope you enjoyed some summer programming, uh, a bit of music. We had a repeated show, uh, and last week we did a special on the movie Don't Look Up, which is now showing on Netflix and is basically an allegory for the climate crisis we find ourselves in. So we're going to talk a little bit about that movie today, a little bit more about it, but also get into uh, talking about the some of the individual actions we can take for the climate as well and sort of weighing up the effectiveness of different actions for those who are inspired to act after seeing the movie or, or just generally from being aware of this issue. So, yeah, as I mentioned, it'll be a bit of a continuation from the last show, which was a summer special. Um, and, yeah, if you do want to listen to that show first, you definitely don't need to. This show will be its own thing as well. Um, but if anyone does want to listen to that either before or after this show, you can find it. Um, it's up on the Freedom of Species website, uh, 3cr.org.au forward slash Freedom of Species, or you can find it on whatever podcast app you're listening to. will have Don't Look Up in the title of the episode. Uh, before us, you heard Sally with Out of the Pan, which is a repeated show. So Sally is having a, a well-earned break at the moment and will be back in the second Sunday uh, in February. Um, so just a, f- a few weeks away. But you can check out all of Sally's shows um, covering all things pansexual via the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. And you can also check out all the other shows on 3CR there as well. So today, uh, to discuss this, I am joined by fellow Freedom of Species host, Adam Cardellini. Thanks for joining me, Adam. G'day. No worries. My pleasure, as always. And I am Nick Pendergrast. And yeah, obviously, listeners heard you know a lot of what I thought about the movie last week. So yeah, I was curious to hear uh, yeah your thoughts on the movie first up, Adam, Don't Look Up, which is now showing on Netflix. There was so I enjoyed it. It was um, a little bit too close to home sometimes, um, having been sort of doing stuff in climate activism for quite a while, um, and uh, in science communication as well, like having a bit of a knowledge around science communication. Um, there were some things that I think it did pretty well, and and others I think that it um, it, it wasn't as successful at. Obviously, um, it, it's, climate change is a complex issue, and any allegory is never going to um, truly reflect the um, the uh, 
the issue of climate change exactly. Um, and I think we'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. Um, but one one thing that struck me as not being particularly um, useful or helpful was sort of the setup of, um, I, I felt like it was sort of setting up this um, left-right sort of um, difference because it's sort of framed in America and there is this strong, you know, Democrat versus Republican sentiment over there. Um, and I'm not sure that, that that political diet is particularly helpful um, when we are talking about climate change. And when when they presented, say, a, um, a more sceptical perspective or people who were more sceptical of, um, of the existence of this um, of this meteor or asteroid, sorry, I should say. Um, they, they, I think they're a little bit too derogatory of those sorts of people and their perspectives. And in in communications, in science communications and communications in general, a, a really important thing is not to speak down to people, not to think that you are possessing the right information that you need to just force into their brain and change the way that they think about things, but rather um, understand where others are at and try to try to meet them or meet their requirements um, and their needs for information um, through the provision of your communications, you know? Mm. And mm -hmm. so rather than rather than telling people things, rather than, um, you know, telling them what to think, it's about having a discussion and and a respectful discussion that meets people um, on their terms, uh, because no one likes to be told, told they're dumb. No one likes to be talked down to. And I think um, a lot of sort of that that just breeds a lot of vitriol and negativity um, and certainly people don't like to be thought of as less worthy or or you know spoken to as if if you know they we get this these this these this rhetoric around elites and the elites are telling us what to do the liberal elites are telling us how to behave and think about climate change and i think that that's um that's unproductive and um and it's not; it's also not reflective of reality. I mean, every everyone has diff, different circumstances and situations, and their scepticism over certain things and scientific information may be born out of um, real concerns. Um, we can think about, say, the vaccine debate and people's people's um, concerns about vaccines. While uh, like a concern for health and a concern for family members' health and children's health and your own health is a legitimate concern. The concern over vaccines may be misplaced because it's um, over sensationalized. Um, but that first instinct to be concerned about your health is one that we can all understand and we can all recognize and that we all have. And so um, sort of meeting people with where they where they stand and recognizing those concerns, but then sort of being um, more helpful around the communications rather than rather than just sort of being smug, I think is a better way to go. And I felt that sometimes 
the way that the film was presented was a little bit smug and that it that it would um you know people like myself who are sort of i i suppose we could say left-leaning and um and you know quote progressive i i i find it funny and whatnot but i also i also see the danger the damage that it does to other perspectives and that they just wouldn't engage with it so it sort of probably fails for me in that it it speaks to the converted i'm not Mm. sure how many people it was getting through to who weren't already concerned about um climate change yeah yeah i definitely agree with that and i think that probably it may have the positive impact of sort of activating people who maybe already were totally on board with the message but maybe had been um yeah just sort of just dealing with a pandemic and maybe not activated might sort of inspire those people already on board uh, or it could also lead to a sense of despair as well which we spoke about last week too but probably one of those two um but yeah we kind of touched on it briefly but not in a lot of detail that it probably it is maybe unlikely to convince those who who aren't already on board um yeah, because like we, like me and Katie, who spoke, my partner Katie, we spoke about it on the summer special last week. Like we enjoyed it, but like we were the good guys, right? We were the ones yeah. being betrayed as rational. We weren't the ones who were the butt of the joke who were being made fun of. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the Ariana Grande song, Ariana Grande song we played, like from the movie on that show last week, like these. Uh, people who um, deny climate change are portrayed as um, having their head up their ass, for example, from that song and just being uh, misled and unintelligent and all this kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think that is a, a, an important critique and, yeah, where some of the, I think, more legitimate critiques of the movie come about. And, yeah, I definitely think it's worth discussing that a little bit more. Uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're going to play a little bit from the movie, which sort of, touched on this um, association that has been made between um, like Trump, even though obviously Trump wasn't in it, but there was very like not, not too subtle references to like, yeah, the the MAGA hats and that kind of thing. Um, Or yeah, the similar kind of imagery pointing towards that. Um, And yeah, this association between these ultra rich people like Trump and the working class. There's three types of American people. There are you, the working class, us, the cool rich, and then them. I'm sorry, but we need them. We need them because you build us up to fight them. The working class, the lower. Do you understand? No, I don't get it. Do you understand? I'm talking about, I'm talking about nutritionists. I'm talking about personal trainers. People at the spa. They're not the ones that check you in, and they're not the resources, but they walk you down the corridor. They're there, and they're... So I, I, I did really enjoy that <laughs> that aspect, that part of the movie, but again, sort of th- like thinking about it critically afterwards, uh, again, perhaps not necessarily reaching through to those people who who it maybe was intended for. I'm not quite sure with the movie if it was intended to activate people who are already on board, in which case maybe it did have some positive effect or, or if it was intended to convince people who weren't already convinced, in which case uh, perhaps it, it uh, yeah, didn't have, you know, probably is unlikely to have, have a positive effect in that way. Um, but yeah, it, it's something that I've been quite interested in. Um, and I do want to also mention that, um, yeah, of course, 
like there are plenty of rich people who voted for Trump and there's plenty of poorer people who, who voted Democrat and stuff like that. So I think it's more it's more of a rhetorical thing anyway, like the fact that Trump talking about the Republicans have become a party for the working class and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, in terms of how it plays out, it's more, more complex than that. But there is this kind of association. And yeah, I, I think there's a few things that have kind of... Um, yeah, stuck with me around this. Um, I remember listening to Cracked Podcasts, which I listened to a while back, and them talking about that, yeah, like Trump is rich, but he's kind of looked down culturally by other people. So he, he he's kind of, he's not working class, but maybe for some people that's how they'd imagine they'd be rich uh, and, and they'd be looked down culture, that kind of thing. And so I kind of sort of started to get this connection um, a little bit more as well. Um, and also reading a book recently um, without swearing, I guess BS jobs would be the best way to put it by David Graeber, an anthropologist. Um, and it, yeah, the job is all about doing meaningless work. And he was saying that these so-called liberal elites were sort of looked down on um, by the working class because they're the only ones who get to um, get paid well for jobs that actually have social value and that there's a lot of, um, it's really difficult to break into these, um, yeah, jobs that are both well paid but also sort of socially valued or, or having some sort of positive social impact, uh, whether that's journalism or law or uh, Hollywood or these kind of things. And so, yeah, it's kind of more likely for these pe- working class people to become super rich, even though that's unlikely, than to break into these jobs jobs which again both meaningful and rewarding and well paid um but yeah do you have anything more to say about that kind of uh connection from the movie or more generally about um yeah these rich sort of trump-like figures and working class people who might be you know manual workers blue collar workers fossil fuel workers etc not not much that you haven't already covered i don't think Mm -hmm. um i mean i do i do like the i i did i did really enjoy the movie and Mm -hmm. i um i did like the the, um portrayal of trump and the son or you know the the president and the son Mm -hmm. um and uh but but yeah no i don't have anything more to add about the um, working class there yeah yeah and um yeah i there was a an article i read about it which was Quite an interesting article. It was called um, Don't Look Up, Doesn't Get the Climate Crisis by Eric Levitz in um, New York Mag, um, nymag.com, and saying that this is a poor allegory for the climate crisis. And yeah, I did see in the comments someone was saying, well, whenever you compare something to another thing, there always are going to be differences between the two. So I think this is more like... It's in a way more like not even so much critiques of the movie, but more challenges for the for the environmental movement in that, yeah, with the movie, it's like if they destroy the what do you what do you say asteroid meteor the the thing traveling asteroid. towards yep. asteroid, then like that's it, and that's the end of it, but with climate change, like we've already done some damage, and so we can act, but there is still going to be an impact, and it's kind of less of that sort of do or, uh do or die deadline um there's also like changes to lifestyles which we'll get onto later as well. Although I uh, will say, yeah, I did. I, I had a quick look over that um, that critique and mm-hmm. I do have an issue with the, so the first point that they make, climate change provides no do or die deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, yes, in some ways that's true, that it is this um, extended, protracted sort of degrading of our environment, the global environment through um, climate change. 
but there are there are some real pretty clear deadlines for certain ecosystems mm. and certainly um do or die has already happened for billions of animals and continues to happen for billions of animals and also millions of of people i think i think that too too often um when we when people point out this issue around the time time that climate the climate crisis isn't necessarily here now time bound clearly i think that we need to push back on that and say well actually yes it is when when you look at a global perspective and the whole collapse of society sure there's no there's no time boundness to it but when else do we only consider a, a um an issue when it is affecting everything everywhere and everyone is going to die well we don't we sort of we take it at local levels and we'll consider okay there's that town over there has now had a bushfire and a whole bunch of people have died and the um the whole town's been burnt or um the that ecosystem has collapsed because of climate change or we will own we will lose 95% of global reefs by the 2040s you know that is a do or die that is do or die mm-hmm. so i just i think that that critique um i understand what they're trying to say it's certainly not as distinct as an asteroid coming towards us but um but i think there are examples where it is do or die mm. it's just that we for too many of us it's easy to ignore where it is do or die yeah exactly yeah. And... At, at what point are the pacific islands under mhm yeah that's a do or die for the pacific island nations possibly Yeah, and that they do touch on that 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 yeah, if that wasn't successful then like everyone dies at that certain date, but they were saying climate change doesn't affect all earth dwellers equally, low-lying nations wealthier versus poor, etc. But as you say, I think that's all the more reason, you know, why it is kind of such an urgent thing because you know, obviously the yeah, I'm not the first one to say this, but you know, a lot of the emissions are coming out of the richer country, but often it's the poorer countries who bear the brunt of, of climate change the most and have the least money to adapt to it, that kind of thing as well. Um, and yeah, just sort of coming out of that, I, I thought um, another, another not so much critique of the movie, but more like challenge for the environmental movement is that in the movie, once people could actually see the asteroid in the sky, they changed their mind. So it was one thing having this like elitist scientist kind of talk to them about data and photographs, actually seeing it with their own eyes. And so I think that that definitely does feed into, I think, a lot of conspiracies and the same with COVID as well, not being able to really physically see it um, compared to perhaps 9-11 or something where it was so visual. And there are still conspiracies about it being a hologram and stuff like that. But even still, I think it'd be be less likely to be the case. But um, yeah, just building on that article again from Eric Levitz in New York Mag, um, talking about these issues of uh, workers' rights and... um, yeah, the the idea that as Adam touched on before, um, yeah, there's this sort of brainwashed people, people being brainwashed by the right wing media, um, uh, and that they're they're sort of uh thinking that they can get extra money from the resources that are in the asteroid and and uh you know not so concerned about it, um, but they mentioned in when it comes to climate change, um, blue collar resistance to gr- to blue collar resistance to a green transition is often quite rational, um, because 
because yeah the the jobs within the fossil fuel industries are generally better paid um, than within uh, more green sectors um, they gave the example in 2019 in the US um, a solar installer in the US was um, about 45,000 and wind turbine technician was about 53,000 um, but in the fossil fuel sector they're generally more like 70 to 80,000 so it is kind of a real a real sort of cut for some of us but not others and so sort of a matter of whether we engage with that again maybe it doesn't fit into a 90 minute film or a 120 minute film and that was sort of a critique and that's fair enough but but there are definitely challenges for the environmental movement for sure um yeah i'm gonna actually that's that yeah the just transition right yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, and I think that is really important. And certainly movements, I believe it was um, School Strike for Climate has added that on or did a while ago add that as a additional demand, just transitions for fossil fuel workers. So, yeah, I think yeah, more work can definitely be done within that space. But I think there definitely it is something that environmental movements are becoming more aware of. Um, and so, yeah, along these lines, I'm actually going to play a speech. Um, this is from, I mentioned on the last show about being quite activated around the climate change issue until the pandemic so this is february 22nd 2020 so uh just before something fairly significant happened but uh this is from the climate crisis national day of action event in melbourne um and yeah it's a union speaker called luke uh and talking about this exact idea of just transitions for fossil fuel workers we as a movement also represent coal workers who desperately need a solution too. See, what will happen is what we saw in Hazelwood. The companies will make a decision to shut that coal plant with no regard for that workforce. They, as much as anyone and all of us, need a just transition plan because they're scared. But they don't want to be the next Detroit right here in Australia where everything they have invested in that community will fall apart and end in some type of economic disaster for them and their families. And that's why Just Transitions is just so important. And we in the community can grapple with this and fix this. If you go to a country like Germany, they have 300,000 jobs in renewable energy. Victoria right now has just 3,000. Just 3,000. For us, if you go to a place like Latrobe Valley, you know, there are solutions being advocated right now, like the Star of the South project, which would be Australia's first offshore wind farm. It would provide enough power for 20% of the state of Victoria. It will provide thousands of secure jobs, not just in construction and maintenance, but in everything that we need to make sure that our communities have good, union, safe futures. It is super important. So we're excited about that project, which is partly being led by the MUA and the ETU. And these are great jobs in regional Victoria. You look at building windmills. You know, there's Keppel Prince out of Portland. There's the old Fort Factory out in Geelong that's been converted to build windmills. How fantastic is that, comrades? That's the kind of action that we want. Melbourne Pride will be taking over Smith Street and Gertrude Street Precinct on Sunday the 13th of February between 11am and 9pm. This free event is a state government initiative delivered by festival partner Midsummer to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the decriminalisation of homosexuality in Victoria. 
The Fitzroy Precinct will be transformed into a huge street party with two music stages, activities, community stores and more. For more information, visit midsummer.org.au. Midsummer is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. We've been discussing the movie Don't Look Up, which aims to uh, raise awareness around climate change uh, or generate discussion, awareness of that issue. But for the remainder of the show, we're going to move away from the movie specifically and talk more about, um, again, those who are energized from the movie, from whatever else, from reading stuff, uh, whatever it may be, to do something about the climate crisis and what actions we can do and what has the most impact. So before we get into that, though, I just wanted to uh, just briefly mention that a more little literal interpretation of the movie, which I think is also uh, an interesting angle too. So the scientist uh, and media um, personality, I guess, uh, Brian Cox did a YouTube video called Brian Cox Breaks Down the Science Behind Don't Look Up, which was actually nothing to do with climate change. It was more about what is the um, what are the potential asteroid impacts on Earth. Did you end up saying that, Adam? Or? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah, and any comments on that that angle? Yeah, no, I thought it was good. I thought the um, the closing point that um, that Brian Cox makes, which is the final final sort of line in the in the movie by um, DiCaprio, uh, we've really it was some, something to the effect of we really did have everything, didn't we? Hmm. And I think that that's one thing that the that that I found good about the movie. It sort of puts things. Um, into perspective a little bit that um, you know it, <laughs> there is something coming coming towards us and it's nice to put things off and push things off and I was you know I was actually just speaking to a colleague who had a um, who had a uh, another colleague pass away on Christmas Eve and um, and it was sort of very very abrupt and and um, wasn't necessarily expected and they were young, they were only in their early 50s, and it sort of, for them, they mentioned, you know, it sort of really puts things into perspective. It, mm. it makes mm. you really think, like, why are we doing, why are we getting concerned about the things we're getting concerned about? Like, mm. why are we spending all our time looking at, you know, which celebrity is, or why, who, who's the, uh, Federer, is it Federer that was, or Nadal? I don't know, which um. which one... The, why we, why do we care about this um, this one tennis player who isn't allowed into Australia getting upset um, because he won't get a vaccine? Like why? So in Australia there was so much media. It was like mm. that. It was wall to wall that conversation when there were so many really other important things going on, mm. um, like a lack of of. Um, rapid antigen tests available for people and spikes in COVID and all this sort of stuff. But we're all focused on this one conversation around whether a, an overpaid sports personality gets to play in the Australian Open or not. It's sort of like, I don't know, I think sometimes we need a bit of a perspective check. And I liked that Brian Cox made that point, that, um, that this sort of allegory, this sort of story can maybe provide that little bit of a perspective check. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, Novak Djokovic is Djokovic, the name. Yep, yep. I'm not going to say that quite right. But yeah, um, yeah, de- definitely. And actually, again, that book, BS Jobs, which I've recently read, one thing um, the author David Graeber pointed out is that, yeah, when 
when you meet people when you're alive often the first thing is like what do you do and you're you're kind of defined by your job but then on everyone's gravestone which i actually walked by recently just with on my dog walking the dogs and it never says your occupation it wasn't that important as things turn out so yeah i definitely think that sort of perspective um is more about like yeah your relationships your family the, those serving the community those kind of things that people actually at the end realize that are the important things but um not while we're alive in many cases but um yeah, I, I did think it was a really interesting point, um, an interesting angle of it fed into the movie a bit as well of like we've got these three year political cycles, but this stuff might might not happen for another thousand years, or you know, and, and we will need three or four years to prepare the technology, but um, we might only know six months ahead. So it was a really interesting point. Um, yeah, again, that more sort of literal interpretation. And actually, I just happened to see this article just because they actually cited me somehow um, in a, a paper in physics and society. And they're actually looking at this like it's released in November 2021. So it's a pretty recent paper, uh, but talking about the sort of the legal aspects of what happens if an asteroid hits the planet and what is a legal framework to regulate the situation and, and what is the responsibility of the states and how this impact the definition of refugee and stuff like that. So there definitely is thinking going on to that issue like in in physics for example so yeah definitely think that that angle was really interesting but we will uh yeah focus more on the climate impact and i I mentioned this last show as well but we'll definitely talk about plant-based plant-based diets because they are particularly important you know when it comes to animals in terms of both that i guess more indirect impact of climate change but also the direct harm to animals but we will discuss other actions as well because i think all any climate action is an issue that impacts animals because as adam mentioned animals are impacted by climate change um both human and non-human so i'm gonna we're gonna go through some um yeah some of the actions promoted on this website that was mentioned after this uh brian cox um yeah youtube video um talking about the issues of climate change so these are according to this website which is count-us-in.org we'll put a link to it in the notes um but these according to that website anyway and we can discuss and debate this um but are the 16 steps of the most effective way to reduce your carbon pollution so maybe if we can just alternate and we'll just go through them one by one and then afterwards we can go into any that maybe you know, you want to uh, go into more detail so i'll start with the first one so the first one is fly less and the second have you got that adam oh We've yeah got, drive uh, drive electric yep um insulate your home wear clothes to last Tell your politicians, which is, yeah, basically encourage politicians to act on the issue. Walk and cycle more. Cut food waste. Green your money. Yeah, um, which is that choosing financial institutions that are better, better than the environment. Uh, repair and reuse. Dial it down, which is turn down the heating in your home. Yep. Um, speak up at work, which is about, you know, getting together with colleagues to try and make change at a bigger scale. Uh, and then talk to friends and eat more plants uh reduce the amount of meat in your weekly diet i'm sure we'll get into that one in more detail yep <laughs> and yeah i i yeah i i've actually just been on the um website trying to find how they've determined 
these things? Uh, yeah, I because yeah, I had a look at that as well. Um, in fact, maybe I'll just briefly mention the last three: eat seasonal, switch your energy to a zero carbon supplier, and get some solar panels. But yeah, well, what Adam's referring to is under each of these actions, they've got both impact and effort. Um, and interestingly, yeah, eat more plants was about maybe. 30% or so in terms of like down the the, the impact um, scale. Uh, and I was curious about that as well because I, I, I also had a look on the site and I couldn't quite see how they've calculated that because, <laughs> yeah, drive electric was 100% impact. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely inconsistent with other things that I've seen um, that I've seen um, – Within that, and we're going to get into this a little bit more with an academic paper um, by Wines and Nicholas, The Climate Mitigation Gap, Education and Government Recommendations Miss the Most Effective Individual Actions. Um, And yeah, that's a 2017 2017 paper, um, but they described switching to a plant-based diet as a high-impact action, but it hasn't been rated that way uh, on that website. One of the uh, top five, and and yeah. you know, yeah, this is a thing like the the that they haven't that they're not transparent with their um, scores just rings off alarm bells to me, and certainly with some of the um, the impact and effort scores that some of these things have, as you say, Nick, they they stand out to me as not sort of aligning with previous research that I've seen. So I yeah I um. I'm also, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know, I'm fairly sceptical of this website. Yeah, yeah, again, I, I haven't had a thorough look, but I, I couldn't find any, yeah, I couldn't find anywhere where they've gone, oh, this is from this academic paper or we through this organisation or, yeah, specific data, which, which definitely is provided in the, in the academic paper that we'll discuss sort of looking at the, yeah, a bunch of these actions and, and yeah, how they rank them in terms of effectiveness based on, on the data that they provide, um, were there any in there that you, yeah, think it shouldn't be in there, or are there any that you, any any actions in there that aren't on there that you think should be in terms of if you had your sixteen most effective actions? Um, well, I think I think there's some that are just uh, they're not accessible to everyone. So mm. you know, I think like insulate your home. Not everyone has a home or or has the ability to insulate their home. Um, mm. If they're renting, that's the same with get some solar um, mm. and these sorts of things. Stuff like eat seasonal that that doesn't make much sense to me either. It can uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure why that's there. I have not I've not heard that eating seasonal or even eating locally. Um, there's some I recently saw some stuff around eating locally possibly not being as good for the environment as as not e- eating locally. So you know I think there's some things um, here that aren't really uh, particularly accessible. Other ones that you know they've got really high impact, but um, I would suggest that I, I would I would actually sort of push back on their being really impactful. Like tell your politicians. Mm-hmm. I yeah I think it's good to get it politically engaged, but it's got a it's got like a maybe sixty percent impact. Um, but most politicians are in political parties, and you telling them something isn't going to do much. Maybe at a at a if everyone in the community did. Um, perhaps uh, the other one was. Talk to friends. I mean, again, it's a good it's a good thing to do, but I'm just not sure it, it's something that is so powerful and impactful on an individual level 
that um, it's, I think it's something that we should do anyway, but I'm not sure we can quantify clearly the impact that it has. Um, yeah. Yeah, it'd be hard to measure, but I was curious about the local thing as well because I remember um, years ago there was a podcast which doesn't exist anymore but called the Angry Hippies Podcast and he used to have a, a friend of his on the show, um, a scientist, and the, the section was called um, Our Science Dude and, and her point was that um, when you go to the supermarket, like your biggest impact in terms of travel is actually you getting to the supermarket in a car versus walking or whatever compared to like this product coming from the other side of the world because it is done in such big quantities that your individual chin tin of chickpeas isn't actually that much in terms of it moving around the world. Is that the kind of thing you are, you could get yep. getting at the local food? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. pretty much. Okay. And yep. there's a there's another um, there's another um, website that I that I think is far more reliable because you know it's got some of the the people who set it up are some of the best um, climate scientists in the world uh, called drawdown.org mm-hmm. and if you go to drawdown.org and you go to the solutions um, solutions menu and then go to table of solutions mm-hmm. you can actually they've got a list of you know 101 solutions that they've um, they've modeled a scenario on how much um, CO2 equivalent could be reduced or sequestered through changes um, in these, through using these solutions. And plant-rich diets is number four if you, um, if you uh, order by scenario two, uh, which is a particular scenario that you can read up on. And plant-rich diets is third on the list for scenario one so it's like it's right up the top of the list in Mm. in in this very well um developed and modeled um sort of list that's based on up-to-date some of the best researchers in the world contributing uh but here they've sort of got it as a 30 percent impact and blah 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 like yeah i don't know they just undersell certain things um yeah, they do talk about, um, yeah, they do talk about, yeah, again, reducing the amount of meat uh, and talking about specifically, you know, beef or, or cows. Um, so they're saying that it is impactful, like one joint of beef accounts for 85 kilos of carbon pollution, the same as flying from London to Paris. Um, but they also talk about sustainably farmed meat from envir- um, lower environmental impacts. Uh, it tastes better too. That's like a common sort of uh, trope. Um, but Ugh. yeah, I'll go ahead. Yeah, I mean they're just yeah <laughs> they're wearing their 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 um, ideologies on their sleeve, aren't they? But um and and you know they've set it up to fail because they're saying eat more plants. They're not saying um go plant based or vegan because when you actually take a serious step um to reduce all animal products from your diet, which is meeting you know. So the climate crisis is at such a point where we should be doing drastic things and we need to do drastic things that will impact our lives. Mm. Um, then just saying, oh, eat more plants actually isn't isn't achieving um, what is needed to actually uh, mitigate or, or deal with the climate crisis. It's, yeah. it's sort of like getting your leg chopped off and saying, oh, just chuck a Band-Aid on it, mm. you know. Yeah. 
yeah, definitely eating more plants will reduce the environmental impact, um, but not significantly. And and going back to that Wines and Nicholas article, which we'll link to as well, the academic book, uh, they were talking about what is promoted in Canadian textbooks to high school students, I believe. Um, and yeah, are they the most effective actions? Often not. So I was saying, um, yeah, rather than promoting a plant-based diet, these textbooks, which we're talking about, climate change actually promoted moderate impact actions such as eating less meat as this website does even though a completely uh, plant-based diet can be two to 4.7 times more effective at reducing greenhouse gas emissions than decreased mint meat intake so yeah it will do a bit but it'd be much better to go completely um completely plant-based now we're talking about eating a, a plant-based diet i'll go ahead adam and and I was going to say like this this website where they say eat more plants and then um, you know when you go into it they say reduce the amount of meat. What what actually is beneficial is not to eat more plants. Like mm. you mm-hmm. could you could mm. eat more plants but still keep eating the same amount of meat. Mm-hmm. What is actually beneficial is eating less meat or mm. or ending your meat consumption or ending ending really ending your animal um, use. Um, or animal consumption it's they 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 sort of um bury the lead because they probably think it's controversial and they don't Mm. want to be seen um taking that particular stance so even their messaging is confused and isn't clear because saying eat more plants well most of us get that it is it is suggesting to reduce your meat consumption it would just it would be far more clearer to say reduce or end your meat consumption Mm -hmm. because that's actually what's having an impact yeah 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 definitely yeah um and yeah that they're also talking about the ways in which yeah eating a plant-based diet is much more impactful than strategies often promoted like recycling which is four times less effective than a plant-based diet or changing household light globes um eight times less and so yeah again that was from the wines and nicholas article talking about you know often what's promoted when it comes to climate change isn't the most effective things um and i guess also on the plant-based diet and again they haven't specifically said reduce you know animal product consumption but the fact they have been somewhat engaged with that issue at all kind of does put it above in some environmental spaces where it's not even mentioned at all not not like cutting out or even reducing so in some ways i was kind of glad to see it there even though it was uh incomplete but we we better take another song and then we'll continue discussing some of these impact after the break um so we're going to play uh, a song by bad religion whose music often has environmental themes including this song uh which is the voracious march of godliness since the start of the 17th century there's been the sense of unseasoned wood burning in the air And the conquest of nature meant nothing at all While we betray exception, we take all that's there But motives are dancers in every fiction of shame The actions cross the remnants of our
concentrated sepsis blowing in the breeze and we turned on each other with ferocity desperation forced without reprieve but the missions were misguided and the travel led astray the air is out with thunder as the victor sees the day and the haunting voice of history lives ignored but not At the Nightcap, Better Late, running till 3am every Friday and Saturday, featuring the best local and international bands and DJs, including Zeitgeist Freedom Energy Exchange, Gypsy Brown with Tando, Spasta with Adriana and Odd Mob, Domingo Latino Sundays with La Influencia and Calle Luna. Upcoming shows including Art vs. Science, ModCon, I Know Leopard and more. For info and tickets, head to thenightcat.com.au. A 3CR supporter. Hi, I'm Michelle Briere, Mani Dubonnet's Ojibwe from Canada. And I am Shakti Hayes from the Cree Nation, Canada. And you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. And we love and support Community Radio. Why? Because it speaks the truth. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Radical Radio. Today we're talking, we spoke a little bit about the movie Don't Look Up and we're now talking about what are the most effective actions we can take as individuals when it comes to climate change. And something Adam referred to before was, I think, you know, actions like talking to politicians are very hard to sort of quantify which again makes me even more like how did how did they get that figure from because it is really hard to to measure and it, it is something that we have spoken about um quite a bit on the show recently or over the last few years about this idea of groups like animal rebellion talking about plant-based food systems on the systemic level um not just individual change not rejecting individual change but kind of having a different uh focus and it's sort of something that i've sort of tended more towards but i think also individual actions are important because i don't think we can have too much faith in the institutions to act fast enough so i think we absolutely do need to do those structural things and i actually think we probably won't do enough without the institutions getting on board Um, but we also can't be like well i've asked scott morrison to implement a plant-based food system in australia he hasn't done it yet so i'll just continue on eating animals like it's like it's doing what we can on the individual level while also pursuing that structural change because 
I think even with COVID, we sort of saw how slow institutions can be to act. A lot of individuals were saying we're staying at home and trying to reduce the spread, and that became government policy much later. It kind of they're quite slow to act, and same with um, climate change as well. Um, and yeah, I think that that issue of urgency and sort of doing whatever he can now is really important as well. Um, I was recently listening to. Noam Chomsky on the Ezra Klein show and he was talking about there's some who say well we got to end capitalism before we solve the climate crisis and like he's on board with the idea of capitalism being a barrier but he's like we can't wait till then we really have to do whatever we can now within capitalism as well um, but yeah um, I, I, was, I know you're also keen to talk a bit about the yeah, when we are taking these actions, the 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 impact is not just on the environment, but also um, impacts other issues as well. Yeah, so I think um, sometimes we we might get caught up in these sorts of presentations of what's the best action to do, um, and and uh, in particular when we when we look through research, uh, like um, people will do an assessment of the impact of a diet on greenhouse gas emissions. And that's how they'll present it. And they'll say, okay, it's the best diet um, because it's got the least greenhouse gas emissions. But your actions impact more than than just greenhouse gas emissions. They impact um, land use, biodiversity, water use, eutrophication. Um, all of these are things um, that that also should be brought into consideration and that's just in environmental aspects but you know there's there's examples here like um repair and reuse that's not only i mean it's probably good for climate a little bit i I think they're overselling how much it is good for climate (laughs) but it's also good perhaps for your own your your own um ability to be self-sufficient and look after yourself and maybe engage with other people who are repairing things and build a community. Um, and certainly we know that, that uh, reducing or ending your, your meat consumption also is great for animals and it can be, if done well, good for your health and you can find community and all of these other things. So I, I sort of get frustrated sometimes when we see these lists that are about you know climate actions that we should do but they don't actually take into consideration all of the other all of the other things that those actions might impact and benefit which um, makes it a more complex discussion a more complex um, sort of decision but also can help because when you talk about um, consuming other animals and switching to a vegan diet or a plant-based diet then Yes, it's gonna. It's it's the best diet clearly for climate, and you should certainly do it for that motivation. But it's also great for animals, and why can't that also be part of the discussion? Why can't we say, yeah, it's good for for climate, but it's also you're not slaughtering animals all the time. <laughs> we don't need to. It's good for animal ethics. Um, so, yeah, I just I just think it's important to when you're thinking about these actions, not just to be so reductive in how you think how we think about them um, just in terms of climate because there's other things other benefits that we gain from them um, and yeah I think that they can be motivational as well 
Yeah, definitely. And I, I've had that recently or about to move from a furnished place to an unfurnished place. And I, I've managed to pick up at least some of the furniture. I've got a shelf and some outdoor storage and stuff that I've just got from the side of the road, which is, yeah, fairly minimal in the scheme of things, but better for the environment in terms of rather than buying stuff new, um, but also is going to save money as well. That, that can kind of seem more like a selfish thing, but depending on your level of income can be quite important in terms of saving that money. And I think other... Um, other impacts, um, yeah, can definitely have other positive benefits as well. Like living car free as well can can yeah can Improve save your health. people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, or t- yeah. talk to your politician can can make you become politically active. You know. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that um, yeah, being reductive, too reductive, can be mm-hmm. um, counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And. Yeah, I, I guess just to finish up on that article before we move on, that there's so much in there that, um, that yeah, we obviously won't get to, but we'll link to the article and check it out yourself. Again, the Wise and Nicholas, the academic paper. But in terms of the impacts or the actions they thought were the highest impact when it comes to climate, again, as Adam mentioned, these actions have impact beyond just climate as well. But um, yeah, number one was have one fewer child, which we spoke about on the last show. Um, the second most impactful they found was living car free. Uh, third, avoiding one transatlantic flight. Fourth was buy green energy. Um, fifth was buy a more efficient car. Um, and six was switch electric car to car free. And seven was plant based diet. Is that right, Adam, or have I got those wrong way around? Yep, no, that's yep, right. Yep, and yep. and I think I think another point to make to highlight here is that they've done it across a, a number of different countries, and yep, um, yep. each country is really different. So in mm-hmm. Australia, we so per capita we tend to use cars a lot more because we live distant from from each other. We've got a lot of land to travel, a lot of cut to cover. So um, ending your car use can be particularly beneficial in Australia. Yeah. Uh, at a at a global at a, sorry at a national like if everyone did it sort of level at a per capita level but you individually maybe it's not so like Nick doesn't have a car but if if Nick did have a car they probably wouldn't drive very much at all because they live mm. in a like in the city whereas I drive a whole bunch and me stopping mm. my um, car use would be very very useful um, would reduce emissions a lot um, it'll also yeah. make it basically impossible for me to do anything but <laughs> yeah yeah that that's some of the complicated issues around these as well and i think going full circle back to the movie some of those things of like yeah it can be clear what is the right thing to do for the climate but in terms of impl- in like implement that it depends on your your class your occupation your economic circumstances um adam mentioned that buying solar panels too like yeah that's a great thing but it's going to cost like thousands and thousands of dollars and so it's not necessarily accessible to everyone um one final point for me again i've just recently finished this book bs jobs by david graber uh and basically according to his calculations about half of work that he's done is by the people doing it is pointless so it was about 37 percent, but then uh yeah if 37 percent 
yeah, basically some of that work could be servicing a BS job. So it's like you're you're cleaning, that's an important job, but you're doing it for people who don't need to be doing their job in the first place. So around about 50%. Um, and so he was talking about that as a getting rid of BS work um, would be a really good way to benefit climate change as well as have that really good social impact in terms of doing things besides work as well. So yeah, he thought a mass reduction in working hours is the quickest and easiest way to address climate change, which is also something i've never heard in in that discussion so i found that really interesting yeah here here that sounds bloody fantastic i want to look into that a little bit more actually that's great yeah yeah, really great book. And and David Grave uh, is an anthropologist, but I think he's an anthropologist that Adam would enjoy and others would enjoy and I enjoy. It is written in a really accessible, kind of uh, engaging way, he, all, of, all of his work. Um, he passed away recently, unfortunately, but um, yeah, his work lives on as I think, again, really accessible work um, and really interesting, really interesting ideas and really turns a lot of things on the head, I think, his work. So, yeah, again, I really recommend that good uh, that book, um, BS Jobs. All right, we are out of time. Um, we're going to actually finish with a song about work, uh, Work, Rest, Play, Die by Subhumans. This is a live version of the song, so I thought that was uh, quite relevant to the BS Jobs discussion. Um, stay tuned for rotations for some more music from, um, yeah, different 3CR presenters present that show each week. Um, yeah, stay tuned to our show next week. We're one to two every Sunday. You can check out our old shows via 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species we're also on itunes and spotify um and we also welcome any feedback via email freedom of species at gmail.com and we're on a bunch of social media as well just a quick note about our t-shirts so if you're after a looser fit style there's one shirt left in double xl in blue um, but if you're happy with the tighter fit shirt, there's, um, yeah, a whole bunch available. Um, they're now only $15 and they're available in a range of sizes, green, blue, and red, a good way to support the show. You can find them via 3cr.org.au and click on the shop button. Thanks to all the listeners who have already bought a shirt. It's good to see that almost all of those looser fit shirts have been bought. Um, and yeah, that's all we have. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, Adam, and for your contributions to the topic. No worries, thanks. When the people of the country have forgotten how to disagree, the national economy is said to be okay. The wages that you get will help you to forget. Will you keep your ideologies or throw them all away? When the system has you beaten, even now you haven't eaten. You can't afford to eat a treat and keep your brain alive. You blame the system for the weather. Carry on as ever. Gotta work it up, I say. Come back home and fight. Can't change the system to 
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.